Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, my friends, and welcome to it. Hump day, middle of the week. Yeah, baby, you know what it is. It is that midweek slide down towards Firearms Friday. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. And today, oh, baby, we got some stuff to go over. We got some uh, some interesting headlines, interesting headlines, discussions, and commentary here in hour one this morning. We're going to talk about a few things, including... Uh, the state of the economy, how the government continues to create a dependency cycle, not just not just here in the uh, not just here in the in the state of Alaska, but kind of across the country. We're going to talk a little bit about child care and things like that. Um, we will talk about uh, the crab season and uh, what Anchorage, uh, what the uh, city of Anchorage and the police are trying to do down there, as far as again creating more of the surveillance state and uh, other things, as well as a discussion um, uh, about uh, the Alaska economy as a whole. So we got got a lot of things to cover in our one. Uh, and then in hour two, State Senator Rob Myers is going to be joining us, and he's going to be talking with us uh, also about the state of the Alaska economy. He's been doing a video series on his Facebook page, which if you haven't uh, if you haven't checked that out, you should uh, you should definitely go see it. Uh, it's over at uh, facebook.com slash Myers for Alaska. Or you can just Google Myers for Alaska dot com or Myers for Alaska on Facebook, and uh, <clears throat> he's been doing a short video series in little bite sized chunks, which I think has got some really good stuff in it. Uh, he dropped one this morning, and we're going to play that for you here this morning before we get to Rob, and we'll be we'll be talking about it. Uh, there's some, like I said, there's some good stuff in there, and. Uh, I think we need to uh, analyze it. If you're looking for a short, hot punchline from that, here's uh, here's just a little bit of what Rob had to say. And we're going to dive down into this with him again in our the basic problem of our uh, in hour two. The basic problem of our economy is this: in Alaska's economy, you don't matter. What matters is the people in Juneau making the decisions about where oil profits are going, and to a lesser extent, large out-of-state corporations who decide which resources are economically feasible to extract. I mean, that's some, you know, that's some pretty tough stuff there. It'll be interesting to uh, see what he has to say on that. So we're going to dive into that here in just a little bit, and we will cover that 
as well. Um, and uh, and that so that'll be the show today. Uh, so I think we're going to crank it open and uh, get started. Things are starting to get. Uh, Get you know, starting to get a little bit uh, chilly. It's thirty four degrees outside right now. Uh, snow out at Big Lake yesterday didn't stick, but it's coming. I guess snow up in Fairbanks. Somebody said, and uh, I know that there are several people down on the peninsula, including Bill, who are just praying for that white stuff to hit down there. I'm okay though, if it doesn't snow until after Halloween. I'm okay with that. I'm just putting that out there in the universe. I know. Maybe that's on Alaskan. Maybe people think that's, uh, I don't know, wussified. Wussified. You know we're going to do it. Um, I, <clears throat> I'm i okay with that. I'll just be honest with you. I'm okay if it doesn't, uh, if we don't have snow that sticks till after um, Halloween, I'm okay with that. I just want to, I just want to, I just want to put that out there. <laughs> please, Lord, please. And I've just stopped doing the snow dances, Bill. I just, I just don't want to do. I just don't want to deal with that. It's going to be good. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's crack into some uh, headlines here from some of the things that are going on around uh, the state of Alaska and uh, things that are affecting us in uh, different ways as well. Uh, bad news for the uh, fishing industry right now, especially. For the crab uh, openings and fisheries uh, in the state of Alaska, <clears throat> uh, there's a story in KTUU which um, talks with some folks, including uh, Gabriel Prout of uh, Kodiak, who's a boat owner and uh, comes from a big-time fishing family out there. Uh, on October the 6th, the Alaska Department of Fishing Game announced it was closing the 2023-2024 Bering Sea snow crab season for the second season in a row. Uh, they're saying that the stock, according to their surveys, is at an all-time low. And uh, so they said they're going to keep that closure down. Now, this is a pretty tough thing uh, for many folks out there. They said, by the way, the 2023 total male total mature male biomass is estimated between is estimated right now to be between 15 and 19 percent of the long term average. So they have the average male mature biomass. And what we've got right now is about just under 20 percent of what the normal average is. That's that's I mean, that's some spooky stuff there. Right. Uh, you do not want to push a fishery to the brink of extinction. And when you only have 20% of what you would normally have uh, in the survey, that's that's kind of tough. Um, and they go on to talk about the Prout family and uh, and their fishery experience. And they said that that, uh, that that news was tough for them because that season, the Bering Sea snow crab season, accounts for 80 to 90% of their revenue for the year. As a fishing family, they own <clears throat> they own a big boat, 116-foot boat called the Silver Spray. And uh, he said, uh, the, the family said that this is a pretty difficult thing. This is especially coming after the fact that they had closed the same season last year. Uh, Prout had said his family vessel brings in over a million dollars a year, and having the season closed again will exasperate already ongoing problems that his family has been facing, such as finding crew and having to delay certain maintenance and safety issues 
due to the lack of funds. Um, and here's the biggest thing. When you've been working and working and building with your family, and, and this has been an ongoing thing for years, you also have, uh, well, you've got certain bills to pay. He said, so all of a sudden having all the same expenses, the same maintenance needs, the same bills, and the mortgages that are due to the banks on these vessels and the fishing rights, because they have to pay for the fishing rights, don't forget, with less than 90% of your typical revenue, just makes it extremely difficult. I mean, I would say that would be the, if your normal revenue cycle is somewhere upwards of a million dollars a year gross that you then have to, of course, have to pay out of all that stuff. But all of a sudden, you've lost 90% of your revenue for a second year in a row? Oh, man. I just, my heart breaks for uh, for families like this who have built this whole thing up. And, and of course, they've got so much invested in this. Uh, just to watch it, it just, it I mean, it just, it, again, it break, breaks my heart. Now, the king crab season is going to bring in uh, some monies. But again, that uh, typically only brings in about uh, 10 to 15% of their overall overall revenue for the year. So hopefully hopefully they'll see it come back. I mean, I don't obviously don't know what the answer is here to this. Is it uh, you know, what's causing it? Is it the trawling? Is it the, the scraping? Is it is it global warming? They said, you know, is it the average temperature rising up? NOAA says that snow crabs thrive in water temperatures of 2 degrees Celsius and below. And in 2018, they recorded the average water temperature in the Bering Sea at 3.5 degrees Celsius. And this last year, uh, it, uh, or excuse me, the following year in 2019, they recorded 3.3 degrees Celsius, which is about two degrees warmer than the average of 20 years. So, I mean, warming, uh, overfishing, dragging, I mean, what is the, I don't know. I really, really don't know. But, um, uh, you know, having worked in that industry when I was much younger and seen, you know, what a lot of these captains and stuff goes through to try and keep those boats on the water and keep their fishermen employed and everything else, my man, my hat's off to these guys. And uh, again, my heart goes out to all the folks out there in the fishing industry who are dealing with that. I loved doing that when I was younger. I just, I, I loved that industry. Uh, but it is, uh, <clears throat> it is a fickle mistress. Because you were at the whims of not just the sea, but also of the biosphere and, of course, of the government trying to regulate and uh, and manage that fisheries uh, thing as well. So tough situation for the folks who are out there in the uh, in the Bering Sea uh, for the crab seasons and stuff like that. So uh, hats, hats off to you guys. Absolutely hats off to you folks. Um. What was the other thing? Oh, uh, the North Slope Borough's got a new mayor. Josiah Patkatak was sworn in as the mayor of the North Slope Borough yesterday, which created a vacancy uh, in the legislature after Patkatak uh, had to resign, of course, because he was now the new mayor, leaving Mike Dunleavy to fill that position. The district he represented, House District 40, includes the North Slope and Northwest Arctic Boroughs and several interior Communities Now, the governor's got 30 days to fill this vacancy, according to state statute, and the successor must belong to the same political party as the uh, predecessor. Pakatak was an independent. He, um, he was unaffiliated, and so uh, Dunleavy can choose from any party. 
Um, and yesterday, the governor announced that he's looking for applicants to fill the seats and invited any resident uh, of the area to apply by October the 31st. He'll then have 10 days to appoint uh, whoever the lawmaker is. This is an interesting, uh, this is an interesting scenario uh, because uh, Pat Kattak, um, um, it, the majority is made up of 19 Republicans alongside four members of the Bush caucus. And the Bush caucus, which until Tuesday was comprised of two independents and two Democrats, hold influence in determining the makeup of the chamber leadership uh, there. So whoever replaces Pat Kattak uh, has either got to have their willingness to work with the Republican caucus um, or it could be a deciding factor. It could be that sway vote. And uh, that is... uh... That's interesting. That's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, who is going to be and, – and is the governor taking that into account? I mean, I would hope so. I would hope that the governor would be taking that into account as he looks at this. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Now, while the governor is supposed to fill the vacancy, his choice is subject to confirmation by members of the legislator's party. And since he's not a member of the party and he is unaffiliated – the appointment may not be subject to a confirmation vote. Um, But House Majority Leader Dan Sadler said he thought the appointment could be subject to a vote by the mostly Republican majority. I don't know. Is it subject to a vote by the party for which they come from because he was unaffiliated? Or does it? I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that is interpreted. Sadler is pushing hard to have the Republicans um, to have, to have the Republicans uh, vote on it one way or the other. Um, we'll we'll see. Now, Calvin Schrege, who is the uh, who's the House Minority Leader, uh, the Democratic House Minority Leader, said reorganization is unlikely but not impossible. Okay, so we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. But this could lead to some interesting times. I'm going to be I'm going to be watching to see who throws their hat in the ring on this, and I'm kind of sad to see it because Josiah uh, Josiah Patkatak seemed to have a a real. He seemed to have his head his stuff squared away. He had a head on his shoulders, and uh, while I didn't always agree with what his positions were on things, I thought he was uh, probably one of the most reasonable common sense uh, legislators uh, we'd seen come from his area in quite a while. So. I'm happy to see that he's going to be doing some. Uh, he's going to be doing some good work for the North Slope Borough, but kind of, kind of miss the fact that he's going to be up there in the legislature. So we'll, but we'll see how it all shakes out. All right, we got more coming up. Uh, we're going to continue on with a few headlines, then we're going to dive into this discussion on the economy, and then Rob Myers will be joining us in hour two. See how that works. It's going to be good. It's Wednesday. It's 34 degrees where I'm at, down here at the undisclosed secret location in South Central. Um, And winter is coming. But we've got more. You're going to have a great day today. Trust me. I guarantee it. Or double your money back. All right? We'll return. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio.
if you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. So, uh, here we are in the commercial break. Hi, folks. How are you this morning? Are you ready to, uh, you ready to do this thing? Coffee and a monster? My heart might explode. Mm. To be fair, it was a small cup of reheated coffee from yesterday. I mean, a really small cup. Um, all right. <clears throat> Mike, 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 guess what day it is? Hump day. Um, all right. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, hello, my friends. My dad is in the chat room. Hello. I am your father. Hello, father. How are you? Look at that face. Look at that face. That's what I would look like if I didn't have a beard on. A baby face. Baby face. Um, all right. Snowed in Homer yesterday, said Bill. Snowed in the hook, said Brian. Supposed to snow for hours in Wasilla starting this afternoon, said Terry. Shut up, all of you. Shut up. Um, in a loving Christian way. 21 degrees off Nordale Road here in between the banks and North Pole. But cast iron bacon makes it okay. You know what? You're right. You're right. Bill says, uh, stop the damn trawlers and the crab will come back. I mean, I think that's probably part of the problem. I never liked, never liked trawling. I just, I always thought, just in my mind, I thought, wow, that's destructive. And that just can't, you know, on the, well, you know, if you have like a little auto trawl that's, you know, on a small boat that's, you know, two feet wide or something, that's one thing. But these big 100, 120, 150 foot boats with these, where they just rip up the, ah, oh, just, oh. anyway, um, uh, the draggers have a higher bycatch of snow crab allowed per year. Yeah, yet the be- draggers have a higher bycatch of snow crab allowed per year than th- that's bigger than the last few snow crab seasons. I do not understand dragging. I just do not in a, on a commercial level. You know what I mean? Um, uh, crab rights are. <laughs> Brian's like that's fake news. Crab rights are almost free. Uh, it's run by the state. That's fake news. Okay. I don't know. I've never bought a crab permit. I have no idea how much they cost. I was just reporting what was in there. Sounds like somebody's a little bitter. What's the matter, Brian? I'm just reporting on it. I mean, the fact that you have to pay for it at all is frustrating. And the fact that they have the mortgages on their boats and everything else. Oof, man. Just, you know. Um. Oh, and Noah just... Doubled the allowable bycatch of crab for Bering Sea trawlers. Dang. Yeah, I just, that's just. Mm, 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 mm. Um, uh, Willie says, talking of Josiah Pakatak, said that the governor, he was the governor's rural liaison for a couple years. Rex. Rex best, I think it was he's best, I don't know. 
Best one that's been in that slot in like next or forever. So he did good. He did good. Um, TMI. I don't know what was too much information, but I thought it is. Um, oof. Last February in a Hawaiian restaurant, they had all you can eat snow crab. They informed me that came from Canada and Russia. Yeah, we're getting wrecked on that. We're getting wrecked on that. I, like I said, have not been involved in the politics of fish very much over the years because, again, I was mostly in the interior, so it wasn't a big thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, I just. I find it astonishing that we're still allowing the kind of stuff that's going on that's just wrecking. I mean, the first time I saw a trawler and what it did, the, I mean, what came in and as I watched one work, man, that's some spooky stuff. All right, uh, let's get back to it. Here we go. Uh, hour two, uh, or hour one continues, the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Wow, I didn't realize. I said something about having some reheated coffee this morning because I was in a hurry. And I had a very small cup of coffee that was all that was left in the pot, and I reheated it. And uh, <laughs> Brian says, TMI, too much info. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't realize my coffee drinking habits were offensive. I did not mean to offend. I should have made a fresh pot, but I didn't have time this morning. And any coffee is better than no coffee, as far as that, as far as that goes. <clears throat> Was it nearly enough to dip my beard in, though? That's normally what I do, and then you can just suck it out of your beard all day. Um, that was TMI. All right, that was TMI. Uh, all right, let's continue on uh, with some of the discussions, uh, some of the stuff that we uh, uh, have to talk about this morning. Um. We uh, we got a lot of different topics, and we're going to kind of jump around a little bit here in this last segment, or in this next segment, in this segment. The next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy. All right. Uh, <clears throat> let's get let's get to it, shall we? Um, so uh, jumping around a little bit in this uh, segment here, let's start off with uh, the good news. I saw a lot of different articles about this uh, around the country that with the passage of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act that was enacted last year, um, they uh, there was a big uh, crunch on schools uh, around the country because all of a sudden in that law, it prohibited federal education funds from being used to purchase, quote unquote, dangerous weapons, which uh, they classified and defined it as a weapon, device, instrument, material, substance, animate or inanimate that is used for or is readily capable of causing death or serious bodily injury, except that such terms does not include a pocket knife with a blade less than two and a half inches in length. To, <laughs> to which I'm like, 
javelins. You can't you you can't buy javelins for track and field anymore. I mean, I don't know what else there. But the big thing was is that it went up against archery, hunting, and culinary arts classes because you obviously couldn't buy butcher knives for culinary arts classes because it was more it was a blade of more than two and a half inches and it could cause could cause bodily harm and you couldn't have hunting classes or archery classes because they couldn't buy any of that stuff because this is the unintended consequences of do goodery all right that's the unintended i mean what did this was all by the way in response to um uh, the uh, the Uvalde, Texas shooting, the Uvalde shooting in Texas. This happened few, a few weeks. You know, they they they'd been working on it and this kind of thing got thrown into the mix. This is the Christmas tree when all of a sudden politicians feel pressured to do something. And so after the Uvalde thing, a few weeks after that, this got wedged into the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And uh, so they put that in there, the deadly weapon. But again, this just again shows you the unintended consequences of the do-goodery of people trying to do something. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, wait, we've just wiped out whole programs that we never even thought about. That just had no idea of. That hunting and archery programs around the country all of a sudden and culinary programs came to a screeching halt. Because you couldn't deal with any of these things. Because there's been a whole lot of, you know, drive-by archery shootings. There's been a whole thing of school lockdowns over archery going crazy. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything. But they had to do something. So here we are a year later, uh, a year and some change later, and they finally made the changes. More than a million students in 49 states will again be able to participate in school archery programs using the dangerous weapons. After the new Protecting Hunting Heritage and Education Act passed with the unanimous consent of the Senate and a vote of 424 to 1 in the House of Representatives. The Democrat from Texas, by the way, was the only one. Veronica Escobar. She's the only one that voted against it out of the whole Congress. Um, Basically, it uh, it it uh, it allows now for uh, for that for the archery programs and for the culinary programs to be able to, again, purchase those items using federal funds, which I mean, I guess you could have still purchased them with state funds, but. I mean, I I just don't know. But again, I thought this was a prime example of, again, of that, 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 I mean, we talk about the politician's disease, right, of we know better than you how to do X. That's kind of the politician's disease to begin with. But there's these unintended consequences. The second, the second other politician's disease is we must do something. We must be seen to be doing something. It's it's essentially virtue signaling at a national level, right? Oh, something's happened. Well, we've now got to do something. We've got to show them that we care by doing something. Whether or not that thing actually matters, whether or not that thing actually makes it worse, or whether that thing has some unintense, un, uh, unintended, unanticipated consequence that has nothing to do with what's... We must do something. And that's uh, that's what we get. We get this kind of knee jerk. You know what's ironic is that the the you know this was this sailed through Congress, unanimous consent in the Senate, and only one vote 
in the House against it, this was a no-brainer. But why wasn't this thought of earlier? Why did we not? Why did we knee-jerk this and make this happen? I mean, somebody inserted it into the bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Somebody inserted that language, and nobody thought, you know. <clears throat> but we have, we must do something. <sighs> anyway, so I guess it's I guess it's good news? Question mark. Again, um, if you have your kids in school, that's I guess it's good news for you. Um, if you homeschool your kids or take care, you never had a problem with this because you could do your own archery class. That's kind of what it was all squared away about and uh, and ready to go. Um, I want to talk about this police. How much time do I have? Um, I, I want to talk about this uh, going on down in Anchorage. Uh, and many of you may say, well, who cares what's happening in Anchorage? Well, because, as I've said many times, and history has proven me out to be kind of right in some of these areas, um, as goes Anchorage, so could go your community here in the future. Because Anchorage is like, it's like monkey see, monkey do. They see Anchorage do it, and they're like, oh, we want to do that too. All right, so that's fine. Um, but here's the thing that uh, <clears throat> that's going on down in Anchorage now that's making me kind of raise my eyebrows. The Anchorage Police Department is considering the use of automated license plate readers, motion-activated cameras that officials say could help reduce crime amid ongoing staffing issues. Now, as I've said many, many times, uh, I respect the police. I respect the job that they do. Uh, I do. But I am not here to encourage or make the police's job easier at the expense of constitutional rights, your right to privacy or things like that, right? I, I just... It's not our – because they always talk about these different things that they want to do that have to come from what we're – I mean, we're looking at like a modern-day surveillance state in so many ways. They track you with your cell phone. They track you with this. They do facial recognition, your license plate readers, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And they're like, well, it's an essential tool for what we need to do. We need to use that FISA warrant to go check out everything that you've ever written or signed or do. We need to, you know, scan your cell phone. And it makes law enforcement, you know – well, it makes it easier, but that's not our job to make it easier. Our job is to protect our liberties, and that doesn't mean that it's easier for law enforcement, with all due respect to law enforcement. Uh, the automated license plate readers can scan passing vehicles and collect the time and the location and the images of the vehicle. Now, <clears throat> we know that through data mining and algorithms and everything else, as the, as the processing power becomes more uh, powerful and AIs get involved and all these other kind of things, they can piece together like, a, you, you know, everything you do based just off your buying habits, your 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 Internet thing, your where you travel, your phone tracking you and all this other kind of stuff. Do they really need one more tool to keep track of you wherever you go? The readers are already in widespread use in the lower 48, where city leaders and law enforcement agencies says the technology can help apprehend vehicle thieves or suspect in criminal cases. Again, all about making it easier for law enforcement and government to track people. But critics, including the ACLU, say they can result in large amounts of information 
about all motorists retained for years with few limits to protect privacy rights. Oh, they say, we guarantee you we don't keep this information for long. Just like the federal government says, of course they don't keep that NICS registry information for very – I mean, you know, when you call into the NICS background check, don't worry about it. It'll be fu- – except, of course, it was then discovered that they are retaining that information uh, for years. They were retaining that information, and they had a database built up of everybody who had requested a NICS background check for a firearm when it was explicitly restricted by Congress. But they did it to try and – Make it easier for law enforcement to do their job. Again, it's not my job to make your job easier. And in fact, really, that's not something that you should be looking at. You took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, not to make your job easier. Uh, The Anchorage Police Chief Michael Curl announced that the department may explore the potential use of the cameras during a meeting last week at the Public Safety Committee meeting. Uh, Any implementation would be more than a year away. He said the technology could help the department more easily locate stolen vehicles or identify cars used to traffic drugs or people by using license plate. (sighs) Drugs or people. Now they're going to be, what are they, running an algorithm on if a car stops at a certain amount of time? I mean, I just don't know. The license plate reader could reduce the amount of time officers spend on tedious tasks and therefore compensate for staffing issues the department is currently grappling with. Again, we need to make this easier for the police. So we'll plug it into a camera, we'll plug it into an algorithm, and it'll just flag stuff, whatever it decides to flag. I, I'm, uh, in case you couldn't tell, I'm not a fan. I'm not a, I'm not a real fan of this. I mean, I understand, but do we've already gotten to the point now where we've raised, we have a whole generation that is ready for uh, what was the the uh, the the survey that took came out uh, what two months ago, where they surveyed a bunch of different demographics, a bunch of different generations, and they found out that something like thirty percent of the people who were twenty five years old and younger would be okay with the government putting cameras in everybody's house to fight domestic violence. You're okay with the government putting a camera in your – we have become so inured to the whole surveillance society. That was an actual question and a statistic. Oh, yeah, I'd be fine if you wanted to put a camera in my house to, uh, to you know, to avoid that domestic violence thing or anything. A camera in your home 24 hours a day monitored by the government and 25 or 30 percent said they were okay with that. If that just doesn't cause you to pucker up. There is something bad wrong here. We do not need another another chink in the surveillance state uh, chain of power. All right? And that's what this is. We have the ability to do this. Doesn't mean that we should. And again, the biggest thing here is that it does – just because it becomes easier, it you know, the, it, it's easier to track criminals. That also means that it could potentially be easier – for you to become a criminal inadvertent remember we all break about three laws a day inadvertently there's so many laws on the books that's a three laws a day that's actually a, a book you should read because we just inadvertently do it unknowingly most of the time anyway i not a fan let's put it that way we gotta go the michael duke show common sense radio one more segment dead ahead then rob myers
running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. I'm just not a fan, man. I I mean, I don't know about you, but I, 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 no, no. I'm just not a fan of this thing. Um, <laughs> Brian says the ACLU is still a thing. Where were they during the COVID indice? I, I'm with you. I don't know where they were. Um, let's see. Uh, hot, black, and bitter. We're all about the coffee. Uh, better than no coffee. Um, um, come on, MD, you know better than that. Uh, the boat that you're talking about is paid off. That guy's dad was the best crabber in the ocean. Okay. I don't know him personally. And I was only reading the story, Brian. I mean, if you're bringing me the straight dope here, then he must've lied to the paper because he said he had to pay the mortgages on his boat. So, or maybe he had to refinance it. I don't know. I, I, you know, um, sounds like you're in the know over there. Um, uh, pretty straightforward. They're trying to disarm us. I wonder how that is working for them, says Jeannie. Not very well. Um, what about high school rifle team, says Jeffrey? Yeah, they I, they hadn't even talked about that. That was not even mentioned in the article, and I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that you could forget about. Uh, <clears throat> um, I think you pretty much forget about uh, that kind of uh, um, program happening in the high schools these days. Um, at Donna, Donna said self-reflection. And then he said, he, you note that he's having to use his cough button more than usual. That's because I swallowed some of that monster drink down the wrong side of my, still it's rattling around in the back of my throat right now. That car, when that carbonated stuff goes down the wrong hole, that is definitely not a good thing. Um, all right, here comes, put your neighbor's plates on. Just put your neighbor's plates on when you travel to Anchorage. Oh, that would get kind of tiring. Um, the look for the children hook causes people's explosive expensive proposition. This is an expensive proposition for a small town like Anchorage. Yeah, I mean I don't know how much the things cost, but it it obviously cannot be a cheap situation. Uh, they cost them almost $2 million, but by the way, it cost them $2 million to get the cameras, $1.8 million. And now they're talking about another $200,000 for Axiom to do it. Two million. It was two and a half years ago that they passed that police want to drag their feet all day long when it comes to putting body cameras on. But when they want to put like license plate readers and things that target you, oh yeah, they're all about that. Again, I respect law enforcement, but there is a mentality in there that is, I find disturbing. Um, have they ever, are they ever going to finish the Dowling Roundabout? I don't know, man. I don't know. 
Anthony says, man, I feel sorry for whoever pulls Anthony duty and has to watch the live feed of me groaning to life and wandering around my house at 6 a.m. Like, like a Sasquatch in boxer shorts and socks. You're lucky that you're wearing boxer shorts. I mean, man, some of these people be wandering around in the nude. Um... Uh, man, the, they're advertising the crap out of all kinds of shots in your arm. I had to add the last bit. Yeah, I know they've got the flu shot and everything else. All the things going. I mean, they're they are advertising the crap out of it. I will I will do it. Sure, sure, sure. Reheated coffee. <laughs> What are you trying to say, man? My God, you'd think I'd actually murdered puppies or something because I reheated some coffee. Sure, reheated coffee. Well, I had some reheated coffee and it wasn't enough, so I popped out into my emergency supply stash to give me some... Because I was a little dopey this morning. <laughs> dopey. <laughs> um. All right. Um... Just look at well, oh wow, yeah, good point. And just look at how well Anchorage did with the implementation of the SAS, which for those of you who don't know was their big I mean, I don't even know how that was ever resolved. I mean, they're still got problems with that, right? Uh, you know, it's it's crazy. What's the topic today? The chat room seems to be in the gutter. Harold has spoken. <laughs> wow, I'm looking for the pot and the kettle at this point. Just don't even know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh my god, that is hysterical. All right, uh, here we go. We're jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Anthony says murdering puppies may be a lesser crime than reheating old coffee in this group. You guys are so sensitive. Man, I just don't know what to do with you. Here we go. Let's get it done. Jump back in right now. Okay, um, time to get back into my final topic for today. And that is the Alaskan economy. And kind of my thoughts at uh, where, uh, uh, where, we're, where we're going. Where, where we're going. Where, what's going on? Now, interestingly enough, uh, Rob Myers has been thinking along the same lines, and he's been doing a video series. Now, his video series doesn't talk about the economy as a whole. It, it, it is, it's basically based on the PFD. But his last segment here that he put up just this morning, in fact, on his Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash Myers for Alaska, I think, is uh, just search up Myers for Alaska in the, on Facebook. And uh, he put up a... He put up a video that specifically is talking about 
uh, the economy in relation to the PFD and the economic impact. And it is a really good take. And so we're going to start with that. It's about three minutes. We're going to we're going to listen to that. And then we're going to I'm going to go off a little bit uh, on, uh, you know, on my thoughts on it. Now, I'm not an economist, nor do I play one on TV, but I do have some thoughts on what's going on. And you've probably heard some of these things before. We'll talk about things like a dependency society and some of the uh, <clears throat> some of the things that are just continuing to urge people to go in that direction. So we'll continue to discuss that and everything else. But let's first take a listen to Rob Myers um, as he uh, goes through kind of the economics of the state in regards to, you know, where we are, where it goes, the PFD, uh, this short little piece. And then we'll have him expand on that and expound on that coming up into uh, next hour when he joins us. But here's Rob Myers from his morning from this morning's release of his latest in a series on the PFD on Facebook, Senator Rob Myers. So last week in the introduction to this series, I said that the PFD and our economy basically suffer from the same problem. For a large part of our economy, the structure is pretty simple. The state collects oil money, and to a lesser extent money from mining, fishing, and a couple of other natural resources, and distributes it out through the operating and capital budgets. Let me give you a quick visual representation of what that looks like here. You can see with the different lines on there, the size of our economy and how oil, gas, and mining on the one hand and government on the other hand play into that. Oil, gas, and mining get lumped together just because that's how the federal government uh, classifies things when they collect the data. So you can see in this graph how much of our economy comes from government directly and how much from oil, gas, and mining. We're looking at that structure by itself accounting for about 40% of our direct economy. Then you add in the effects from government employees and contractors spending their money in the broader economy and the effect gets even bigger. So what this graph is showing us is really pretty simple. The basic problem of our economy is this. In Alaska's economy, you don't matter. What matters is the people in Juneau making the decisions about where oil profits are going and to a lesser extent large out-of-state corporations who decide which resources are economically feasible to extract. The old model was taking oil money to do that. Since oil money has dropped and is likely not coming back anytime soon, more on that later, government has turned to permanent fund earnings to keep the same structure going but just with a new revenue source. So the PFD aside, here's the problem with that and how it hamstrings our economy. That structure discourages initiative because it assumes that all or most of the major decisions will be made in Juneau instead of at the individual level. Most economies are made up of small decisions for business owners adding it all up to make the full economy. Most natural resource economies in the United States have ways for the natural resource wealth to get to individuals so that they can reinvest it back into other sectors, providing for more growth and diversity. Here in Alaska, ours is stuck with a few big decisions made by a few people in one location because they've concentrated the largest natural resources and the largest financial resource in the state's hands. We're missing out on the knowledge and energy that average Alaskans can provide to the economy by assuming that only the people in Juneau matter. What we've done is create a structure that puts nearly all of the natural resources into the state's hands and divorces them from the average Alaskan. In most states, average people could own or directly benefit from natural resources. In Alaska, we largely can't. We're left waiting for the trickle down from either the large companies or the government. We don't have a way to become owners and have control over our own little corner. 
by having a structure that assumes we're powerless, we've been left in the dust and become an afterthought. As we've been having this PFD fight over the last eight years or so, a lot of people have felt like Juno was ignoring them. We've even had various politicians say that they think people just waste their PFDs and get drunk in October. All these sentiments are more manifestations of the same problem. In our economy, you don't matter. The people in Juno are who matter. Thanks for listening. In next week's installment, we'll talk about how we got into this mess in the first place. <laughs> you don't matter. Again, what he's essentially saying is he's basically describing the politician's disease, right? We know better than you how you should blank spend your money in this case, how that money should be spent. I mean, yeah, the, the, the arrogance of people standing up there and saying, oh, well, you know, you're just going to get drunk on it. You're just going to get drunk or you're going to buy big screen TVs or you're going to fly to Hawaii or you're going to, I mean, <clears throat> how dare you do that with your money? See, it's only offensive. Here's, here's the flip side of this. It's only offensive if people do those things, whatever it is. I mean, hookers and blow, you know, Hawaiian vacations, drinking it away, whatever it is. It's only offensive if that's government money, right? If it was some kind of welfare or handout to the people instead of being a shareholder's take on the resource. Because that's that's what it is. As Rob said, in many other states, the citizens could either own or directly benefit from the resources that are in their state. Here in Alaska, because the resource is collectively owned, we can't do that. But then you see these comments of coming out, like Jennifer Johnson saying, you know, people are the, they're just going to go drink it. And of course, she also <clears throat> pointed it more at the rural communities and saying they just drink it. A little offensive. But I mean, whether it's Hawaiian vacations or buying big screen TVs or drinking it up or whatever they're doing with it, it would only be offensive if it is government money. If you wanted to take your hard-earned cash and do all those things and more with your own, most people would be like, Ooh, you know, what? But because it's, in their mind, government money, oh, now it's offensive. That's why they think it's okay to say that kind of stuff. Because that's how they think about it. Because that's their intent and their whole thought process to begin with. All this stuff should come from government in their mind. Rob's right. The, 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 the people, it, it doesn't, it, again, here's the, the money shot right there. The basic problem of our economy is this. In Alaska's economy, you don't matter. That's, that's it. You don't matter. You know what matters? The government economy. You know what matters? The people in Juneau making those decisions. That's what matters. And that's got to change. Because if it doesn't, all we're going to do is continue to create this resource or this uh, this dependency driven state where the government spend becomes more and more important. Where it doesn't matter what's happening in the private economy. That doesn't matter. And in fact, what a lot of these people want to see is the government economy grow so big that really the only economy in the state is the public economy and that small amount of private economy that goes to support the public economy, the government economy.
Oh, sure, you'll have a few restaurants, you'll have a few things like that. But the majority of any kind of private industry or private uh, economy, private enterprise, will all be in support of the government spend. That's the that's the ideal that we're seeing right now. And it's it's amazing. We're going to talk with Rob Myers about this here in just a minute. And we'll have him expand on this and expound on it. But, you know, I've talked about the dependency state in Alaska for a long time, and we're seeing it kind of come to fruition at this point. Rob Myers, our guest up next, The Michael Duke Show. Somebody needs some more coffee this morning. It's irrelevant whether or not it's offensive, though. If someone decides to go run up a full PFD's worth of a bar tab in town, it's still a full PFD's worth of money that uh, through Alaskan economics. If they order a big TV off Amazon, then all the shippers and truckers are going to get laid locally. Get laid. <laughs> Somebody needs some coffee. I think he meant paid. But if they were getting laid locally for, I mean, that's a, you know. <laughs> But I see your point, Anthony. Sorry, I just had to poke fun. Obviously, not enough coffee in anybody's veins this morning. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Rob uh, Myers is going to be... um, That's fine. You don't have to send it by email, Rob. I got it right here. I'm just going to do this. Uh, Rob just sent me that chart so that I can... uh, So I can save it for you. Oh, we're going to do that where it is right there. Okay. Got it. God or otter. Uh, today is uh, the 11th. Okay. Uh, Rob Myers. Okay. I'm just, I'm putting together, I'm putting together this graphic so that you guys can see the graphic that uh, he was talking about in that, in that deal, in that dealio, the dealia Bob, the dealie Bob. Um, yep. Yep. There we go. Uh, let me put that, uh, no, let me just do the thing. There we go. Browser full. That's what I was looking for. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. I'm making it happen. We're making it happen this morning. Uh, Rob Myers, I could see him. He is in the green room, uh, even though I'm not really looking at it this second, but I'm about to do it. Where did it go? Uh, there it is. <sighs> okay. We got it. We got it. Let me um, put that up there, and we'll do that, and close that. Oh, you know what? It's just, it's it's irritating when you can't get the thing to work the way that it's supposed to work. All right, transition. Um... And I'm just going to remove some stuff here. Yes, remove it. I know. I'm talking to myself. People on the podcast are like, what are you doing? I'm trying to fix something on the screen so I can show this damn thing for for what Rob has got going on. Oh, that's why. Okay, there we go. Now we got the chart. The chart is now up and ready to go. This is the chart that Rob was talking about during his presentation. 
and I'm just getting it squared away so that you can read it. All right, I got it. <clears throat> Whew, man. Rob Myers, uh, our guest uh, here. Uh, let's check his audio since we're in the break right now. Make sure that he is all A-OK, ready to go. I woke him up awful early. Hello! <laughs> he looks surprised. Oh, he you're looks... trying to make me a morning person, aren't you? I know, I know. I offered him the 624 position, and he was like, Urgh. I'm like, okay, all right. A little too early. All right, I get it. I get it. It's fine. Just be like me. Reheat a cup of coffee and then get chastised by the chat room all morning because you reheated a cup of coffee. I mean, I'm just like, any coffee is better than, I mean, nothing, right? Uh, uh, how are you doing? You ready this morning? I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Yep. Okay. Well, that, uh, I got to say, that was a really good, I haven't gone back and watched the rest of your um series yet that was what number five in a series so far um so that was actually just the uh really the first one i did a little about minute and a half introduction oh, to, okay. to kind of prep everybody last week um this is the first one and i've got uh, nine videos planned right now um i think and i'm doing doing one a week every wednesday morning um i might do uh one or two more if i get a bunch of questions on specific topics or something like that but that's what i've got planned out right now Okay, good. Well, then that's uh, that's good. I, I caught it at the very beginning. I thought I was going to have to go back and watch some, but it's good. GD says, Rob, you look like a passport photo. Well, so, I mean, you know, he's traveling. What are you going to do? Um, not everybody can have the dedicated studio lights and all the other stuff. It is what it is. It's better than it's better than nothing here. Um. Yeah, I've got. I've read it. I got your chart here. I couldn't agree more with what you said, Rob. And uh, I'm interested to really uh, dive into this. But you know, it 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 just struck me, uh, like I said, and you can comment on this maybe when you you know when we start on the radio if you want uh, if you want to delve down into this. But I think that was the biggest thing when you mentioned talking about people who were poo pooing PFD recipients for how dare they buy snow machines or drink beer or go to Hawaii or do whatever the, which some people do, right? I mean, for my family, it was always about tires for my car and heating oil for my house. And, you know, it was always about something different. Um, but if I had, the trust. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever it is, the bottom line is, is that it would only be offensive to do those things if it was government money. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the thing. That's what really right. struck me is that I, it, I just thought, yeah, I guess if it was a government money and you were out there getting drunk on government money, I mean, not that the bureaucrats don't do that all the time, but, you know, we <laughs> that we do it. That's the whole mindset here. Uh, and I found that interesting. All right. Um, well, Rob, uh, we're going to I'm going to put you back in the green room here and we're going to jump into it because we are coming up on the break uh, to return to the radio. Rob Myers is going to be our guest. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, and we are going to jump into this. And, uh, man, that man had hate in his eyes when he popped in. My guy is not a morning person. He didn't have hate in his, well, maybe a little hate, but only because I asked him to come on even earlier. He said no. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interweb at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream, the podcast, social media links where we simulcast the radio show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch every morning. And, of course, live around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hump day! Good morning to you. It's Wednesday. I hope I'm not too excited this morning. I'm not too excitable for you. Um, we are we are ready to go. We are ready to go. Uh, hour two now, and uh, we are being joined this morning by State Senator Rob Meyer, who has been just started a series of uh, of little uh, broadcasts on Facebook, little uh, a video series on the PFD and the economy. And we just listened earlier or later in the last hour to his first little segment on it. We dissected it a little bit, and he's going to give us the deep dive on it now. We're going to talk about that and uh, and go through this. He joins us this morning to discuss uh, because I think and, – and, and, and first of all, credit where credit's due, Rob was the first person to, to, to make the connection – in my in my mind, I'd never heard this, you know, talked about in a certain way, but it makes so much sense in the long run about how Alaska, the government and the people, the government and the and the p- private economy, the public economy and the private have become so disconnected. One of the reasons why we have runaway state government is because they are disconnected. And I had never considered it from that point of view. But now looking at it, it makes total sense. That it doesn't matter what happens in the private economy. It's why the legislature doesn't seem to care and hasn't seemed to care for years what happened in the uh, public uh, in the uh, private economy, because they're getting all their money from oil, gas, and now the PFD. They don't care as long as oil and gas is doing good, and as long as the PF the PF returns from the fund are good, they're fine. And uh, that's kind of a that's a spooky time. That's a scary time to be there. Rob Myers is our guest right now. He joins us. We're going to discuss this and uh, get into the deep dive angle on all these things. Good morning, my friend. How are you this morning? Do you have hatred? Oh, you have hatred in your eyes because I woke you up so early? That's what somebody just said. <laughs> well, it would have been getting up pretty close to the same time anyway. I'm uh, After we're done with the show here, I'm uh, I'm making a run up to the slope. Okay. So we're doing okay so far yeah it's just the glare in your glasses right it wasn't really hate it was just glare off the glasses to uh, make the hate um rob this piece that you just put out yesterday which again is available over on your facebook page at myers for alaska um uh-huh. is a good concise little intro to what's going on with the economics and i mean you said it in alaska in the alaskan economy you meaning the listener you don't matter what matters 
are the decision makers in Juno. Again, this you've you've concised down the politician's disease of we know better than you how to blank in this case spend your money. How to, how to spend that money, how to take care of you. This is just a continuation of this whole dependency state or or nanny state mentality. I mean, am, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Was any of my analysis in the last segment was any of that wrong? No, you're you're right. Um the the different the problem that we have here in Alaska as is not just a a mentality, it's a structure that encourages that mentality because the politicians disease that you talk about that's a problem nationwide, worldwide. You know, it, it, it's going to be a problem with government everywhere. The problem in Alaska is that the way that our economy is, is set up with the government owning mineral rights, with the government owning the vast majority of land, it, it just doubles down on that. And it, you know, it basically when, when that structure got set up in the 50s and 60s, and, you know, further back than that, if you want to count the federal government, it, it basically said, well, we agree that the politicians know better than you, that, that the politicians should have all of this money and they should be the ones distributing it to decide what gets to grow in the economy and what does not. You know, um, the, the, uh, the video that I just did today, you know, is, is step one saying, OK, this is this is the problem. This is where we're sitting. Video number two next week is going to be about the history of it, of how this got started and it goes all the way back to statehood depositing all of those mineral all that mineral wealth all of the the uh subsurface rights primarily within the state government and it gives it the power to enforce that politician's disease and that's that's where we find ourselves yeah and interestingly enough this was not something that the state uh, of Alaska or the framers actually wanted this was a mandate from the federal government at the time right they said if you want to be if you are want to be a state this is what you must do and it was a unique situation because no other state has been faced with this kind of uh dilemma before um and i think in in part their justification for it was well we don't want to have to we don't want to have to pay for the expansion because the infrastructure and because Alaska had no basically had very little infrastructure mm-hmm. and the federal government didn't want to be on the hook for all that. So they're like, oh, you take all the resource and then then the state's responsible for which, again, never really worked out anyway, because we're spending millions of dollars of federal money and the state is investing very little of their own comparatively into that. So did that really work or not in the long run? Right. No, that's that. That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, I'm going to go into this a little bit more further in depth next week. But um, basically what was happening in the 1950s, 1950s were kind of as it, it, strange as it sounds that, you know, that being some kind of the height of the Cold War all, at the same time, it was also the height of kind of the socialist mentality in the United States. And if you looked at what was happening across the world at the time, you had a lot of different uh, countries becoming independent. Uh, from their former colonial masters. And there was this wave that went through economists where most of them were recommending that the way that you go, that you grow and create economies in these new countries is you take the mineral wealth, which had been owned by, you know, the, uh, the imperial power in the most cases, and you give it to the government of that new country and say, all right, now it's locally owned in theory. And so now you're going to take this money and you're going to build infrastructure. You're going to invest in heavy industry. Um, you're going to invest in education, you know, all, all these sorts of things. And um, this is how you're going to grow your economy. 
And we saw basically the same pattern from almost every country that went through this. And, and again, the feds took that same model and made Alaska do it and said, all right. So for the fifties and sixties, they generally did well. You get into the seventies, the eighties, just about every single one of those countries had their economy crash on them. And they've been dealing with the after effects ever since then. And then you saw in the 70s and 80s that all of the economies around the world that didn't have significant natural resources, like, say, South Korea and Singapore and a few others, all of a sudden their economies took off because they their governments actually had to stick to a budget. Their governments actually had to uh, pay attention to the private sector and make sure that the private sector was making money, because if they didn't, the government didn't get any money. And they you know, it took them a couple of decades to kind of put the pieces together root out some some corruption, things like that. But they took off and they haven't looked back. And all of those countries that tried to build their wealth off of a state-owned natural resource, they're in serious trouble. And we're running into the same problem here in Alaska. I mean, you could kind of make an argument that we might have, have had our problem delayed a little bit maybe. But I mean, shoot, you remember the, the you know, late 90s, you know, oil prices around here were crashing where, you know, everybody's going, you know, the what are we going to do? The, the military was downsizing, um, you know, about the only bright spot in the economy at the time was tourism. And, uh, you know, and and so we had that problem. And then, you know, you go back to the, the early 2000s, oil prices started to rise, kind of pulled us out of that. Right. So we were able to kind of ignore that for the last couple of decades. But that's the situation that we're in. Right. It's the same problem that those that those economies around the world uh, got put into and the feds put us into that spot as well. Well, I think the only arguably the only reason we didn't crash the way many of these countries did is because we did implement a permanent fund. And so it's cushioned that it's, you know, it's 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 cushioned that blow and allowed them to continue this kind of farcical thing over the years. There's a second reason. And you're not going to like this reason either. The other thing that has cushioned us is federal spending. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've no doubt, no doubt that that's a huge thing uh, in it. Um, let's go back to your analysis here, although in this week's, because that's kind of a preview of next week's video. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this week's video and the history of it, because you had some kind of harsh words uh, for people, you know, that but uh, again, not untrue. Just speaking a plain, you know, just speaking a plain truth makes it a little harsh, I guess, in some ways. But essentially, what you're what you're outlining there is the truth that only what happens in Juno, only the decisions made in Juno, seem to matter to most of these folks who are in power. Uh, they just, you know, they are the ones that can do it. Uh, I mean, literally, we've been treated in some ways um, like children, uh, where you know we've had huge hearings on things like the PFD and other things and and had politicians actually say, well, we really appreciate you guys speaking, but you just don't understand. And so we're going to go over here and make this decision on our own because you children just don't. I mean, they don't say children, but it's all this implicit thing like we're the adults in the room. You're the children. You just don't understand the problem. So we're going to make this decision for you. Uh, that is one of the most infuriating things to me as an adult. Uh, and uh, but this is this has become the norm. And, and as you point out, mm-hmm. this has been the norm for 40 years in this state. Yeah, 40, 50 years ish. Um, it, the it, you know, you go to that chart that, that I used in the video there I sent you, um, you know, what you what you find out on there is is about 20 percent of our state's economy. And this varies 
fairly, you know, a fair amount based on the year um, is based on oil. It's, it's oil money. And we, you know, it, it's all dependent on the production and how much, uh, you know, how, and, and what the, the world price is, you know, we can't, we can't change that. Can't really affect that much um, up here. Um, and then another 20%, and this part doesn't change much is how much government spending we have state government spending. You put those two together, that's 40% of our state's economy right off the bat that we as citizens have basically no control over. And so when you get those politicians that say, well, you just don't understand, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I have all these, we have all these things at the state level that we have to take care of, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure most of them have not gone and looked at these numbers, but effectively, this is kind of what's in the back of your head. And of course, when you're in Juno, it just gets magnified because that's what you're faced with every day. So, you know, you're just thinking to yourself, this is just, is this is what I have to deal with because we basically have to manage the state's economy because so much of it is based on what happens in Juno here. And then that other 60-ish percent of the economy, you know, a lot of that's going to be federal spending, which of course we have no control over. Um, some of that is going to be, ba- is, is uh, the economy that's based on the spending from government contracts, from government employees spending their money in the economy. So again, it goes back to Juno indirectly. And you start looking at what is actually within the control of the, of the Alaskan people by themselves. And it's really a very small fraction. And it's, it's really a very scary situation to be in. Um, and that, that has to be the first thing that we have to recognize within the state. You know, if you're going to, you're going to solve a problem, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the problem and realize what it is. Um, and if you, if, if we don't, acknowledge that fact and start to say, all right, how do we get out of this? Then we're going to be in a world of hurt. And you start to look around again at natural resource economies, you know, compare that to other states with large natural resource economies, Texas, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, uh, things like this. And you start to realize that what has to happen if you want to grow the economy and you want to diversify the economy, you have to get that natural resource wealth into the hands of individuals, and then individuals make the decisions on what we grow, what we expand. They're the ones that that not only grow the economy, but also start other industries using that natural resource wealth as the seed money. You know, there, a couple of years ago, uh, when we were fighting over the PFD, it, it started to come out. People were talking about, well, the, the permanent fund is our seed corn. And so that's what I said on the floor is I said, well, seed corn is great. I don't disagree with that concept but if you're going to talk about seed corn where are you planting your seed right okay well and again again i was just going to say that's the point of the pfd was to put that money into the hands of that's what hammond wanted to do not only was it a stopgap and a governor on government spending because you know taking that money directly out of government's hands it was putting that money into people's hands, allowing them to be resource owners, and then they could use it to start businesses, fund their life, you know, take care of things that, and put that money into the economy. That's what the purpose of the PFD was, but that's been perverted over the last, you know, seven, eight years to the point now to where it's unrecognizable compared to what it was before. Right, exactly. And, and you know, that's what the, that's what we haven't been talking about enough in this state is the PFD is our stand-in for private royalties. What happens in a natural resource economy 
when you don't have private royalties, private ownership, well, the whole thing flops. And if you don't fix that problem first, this whole thing is going to fall apart. Well, which we've talked about with Brad, I mean, looking at the projections of government spend and everything else, I mean, we're going to basically out-consume whatever the permanent fund can generate in a, you know, in less than 10 years, we'll just, we'll suck it all up and it'll be more uh, and everything else. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're coming up on the break. We've got to, uh, we got to go. We're going to continue in just a minute with him and we'll continue to expand on this topic of the economy and the PFD and how they're inexorably tied together and how really the PFD is the one thing that can stabilize and save the private economy and prevent the government from growing beyond its own means. If we can convince enough people in Juneau that that's the case, if their arrogance doesn't prevent them from seeing that solution. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Rob Myers is our guest uh, here in the break. Um, Brian says, think of it as a decision tree. The earlier decisions are already made by the state, so the branch choices are more limited. You're not wrong there. Uh, And I don't know if you want to tackle this, Rob, but uh, I'll throw it up there just because. Uh, Randy says, what about the hundreds of individual private businesses in Alaska who make their own individual decisions? Please explain why you think it's only legislators in Juneau who make decisions. I don't get what you're talking about. Um, You want to talk to me like I'm five here, Rob, and give me the (laughs) – Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of starts with what Brian said first, which is if you start by diverting all of that money to the government to begin with before it can even get into private hands, that significantly limits the decisions that an individual, that a private business can make. Uh, The other one that we have to look at on the other end of it is how many of those, you know, what we call private businesses are actually dependent on government spending. I've got an entire video, which is going to be another three, four weeks, five weeks off. Um, talking specifically about that, about how many businesses in this state are dependent on government spending for their existence. You know, I mean, it's it's one thing to say, hey, we're going to, you know, the government's got to, you know, put out some contracts for various things. And and so, you know, uh, uh, different businesses that they're going to pick those up and that's going to make, you know, 10 or 20 percent of their of their revenue for the year. OK, that's one thing. But when you start looking at businesses where 80, 90 percent of their revenue is based on government spending. And all of a sudden, that means that now my job is not to go out and provide a great service for my neighbors. My job is to go down to Juno and lobby for more government spending. That's a whole nother ball of wax. Right. I mean, it's the corporate cronyism that we've talked about. We've got we've created when I say dependency, I'm not just talking about a welfare state um, right. where where we're on the light, you know, the social safety net and the welfare, the things that the right normally talks about. We're now mm-hmm. moving into the category of what the left normally talks about, which is corporate cronyism, where these corporations are living off the government largesse. And we saw that we saw that during the PFD debate. I mean, <clears throat> GCI, which makes millions and millions 
millions of dollars off government contracts from the state of Alaska, dropped a huge amount of money in that first PFD fight. They Ron Duncan and company, I think they dumped $2 million or something into an ad campaign and everything else to fight against people who wanted to preserve the PFD. And that just shows you they're lobbying, not just the the legislature, but the public to say, oh, well, no, we need that money. So we do. And that's my problem. Businesses that have built an entire business model around government spending, they are definitely a biggest part. And that's why I was saying earlier what the ideal thing is for many of these people where it's just a government economy and the only private economy is the private economy that's supporting the government spend. That I mean, that's right. really what all will be left. There will be hardly anything else left at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, um, one thing that I like to talk about a little bit is it's just we talked about the 50s already. Go back to Eisenhower. And, you know, he made this this big splash with his farewell address where he's talking about the um, the military industrial complex. And, you know, people t- talk about that. Oh, OK, well, he, he was telling us we shouldn't spend too much money on the military and, and things like this. And I'm like, OK, y- you got to go back and you got to listen to it. And you also have to realize that in his first draft, what he really was talking about was the military industrial congressional complex. And what he was trying to say was that we have gotten away from putting spending into defense that's actually going to help us. And we've gotten into putting spending defense money into uh, congressional districts that that congressmen can now use to hope that they're a reelection. Well, we've got the similar problem here in Alaska. We have all of this money that the state has that turn into that, that stop being private economic decisions and it turns into public political decisions because those politicians take that money and they don't necessarily invest it in places where it's going to help the economy the best. They put it into places where it's going to help their reelection the best. And that, again, is the danger because it creates that whole thing. I mean, why do we still have the jo- <clears throat> why do we still have the Jones Act? Right. The Jones Act was supposedly to protect shipbuilders. And now we really we build a fraction of what we used to. So that didn't really work. But nobody's ever going to remove it because, oh, the congressmen in those districts. Oh, they're not. You know, <clears throat> it's the same thing. It's protectionism. And at this point, it's protectionism of the public economy. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're going to continue here. The Michael Duke show. Uh, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, like and share, like and follow, do all the youtube things, et cetera, et cetera. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right, not your daddy's talk radio, although my daddy is here in the chat room somewhere hanging out. Um, It is the Michael Duke Show, where we try and inject a little common sense and bring you education, entertainment, and enlightenment all together. That's, uh, you know, all three of those. Rob Myers is our guest state senator from District Q up in North Pole, and we're talking about his latest video uh, that he's just put out on his Facebook page talking about the economics and history of the PFD. Well, mostly the economics next week is going to be the history lesson, which should be a very interesting take um, uh, and a, hopefully a little bit of a deeper dive. But, Rob, we're continuing to come. We were just talking about <clears throat> during the break uh, the corporate cronyism, uh, which is yep. a big problem. I said it earlier. I said it in the last segment uh, or in the segment of the last hour where I was talking about <clears throat> in an ideal world, many of these people – Uh, And I think you've said it before, as long as the public economy, as long as the government economy is doing well, 
the politicians feel like, oh, the economy's fine. As long as the government spend is there, the economy's fine. And yet, you, and you have all these companies that are living off government largesse that are built a business model around government contracts and things like that. And anything they do in the private sector is just kind of ancillary and gravy to that. Their main bread and butter is servicing government contracts. They have yeah. become they have become some of the main instigators and and motivators behind this kind of spending. Right. You know, we can talk about a couple of specific um, examples of that. In the break, you were mentioning uh, GCI and they've kind of, you know, one of the most egregious ones. Um, but we can talk about a couple of others as well. Um, you know, Brad's brought up in the past uh, talking about Medicaid, um, you know, and OK, Medicaid is something that, you know, on the right we look at and we say, oh, well, this is a it's a government welfare project and and things like that. And of course, then you know, then then we hate it. But what we're, we got we got to look at and what Brad's brought up is that it's the folks on the lower end of the income spectrum that benefit from the service. But it's the folks on the higher end of the income spectrum that actually benefit from the money because they're the ones that are getting paid from it. Right. They're the, that's the doctors. That's the hospitals. That's the, the you know, the, the different businesses. And if you look at at medical care in Alaska, it's really scary approximately 80% of the medical care in Alaska is funded by government in some way, shape, or form, whether you're talking Medicaid, Medicare, VA, TRICARE, um, Marketplace, marketplace, healthcare marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. Healthcare marketplace, uh, you know, state, local government employee plans, you know, the whole nine yards. This is, this is approximately 80% of the healthcare market in Alaska is coming out of the, the, the the public government economy to start with. Let's do another one. Let's talk about construction. Okay. A lot of people in this state work in construction. I got, you know, I got, I got a lot of respect for the guys that work in the industry, but if you look at where the money for the industry comes from, yes, some of it's private, you know, going out there and building homes, building office buildings, things like that. But what about something like road construction? Well, that's going to be government, you know. So we started building. Uh, I think I brought this up earlier when when we talked uh, a few weeks ago. Is we started building um, some bridges out here at the three mile on the Rich, uh, crossing the railroad tracks. Okay, in theory, we're eliminating a rail crossing. Sounds great, right? Except when you go look at the studies that DOT did beforehand, the studies say, well, we had accidents in, in this area, but none of it was was issues with the actual train. It was all people sliding off the ice, things like that. So it doesn't look like safety is actually going to be improved if we build anything. And what are we doing? We're spending $24 million to build two bridges across the railroad tracks. Okay. Who's actually benefiting from that? If there's no safety benefit, there's, I mean, there's, there's no infrastructure benefit really, because it's not like we're connecting anything new. We're just rerouting um, that. Well, who's actually benefiting from that? Well, right. it's going to be going to be who's building it right you know that doesn't really help that help the alaska economy in the long run and that's the problem that we run into is we have because we have all of this money diverted over into the proper the the um the government public economy instead of the private individual economy individuals make private economic decisions governments make public political decisions they're going to put the money where it benefits the most politically for the next election cycle, not right. where it benefits us economically in 10, 20, 30 years down the line, because in 10, 20, 30 years down the line, where are most politicians? Not in office anymore. Right. So it, it, it's, it's a drastic change in the incentives. 
And that's what we have to come to grips with. Well, and I remember I've told this story several times, but I remember 20 plus years ago, um, <clears throat> one of my side gigs was working for a uh, was working with a signage company um, and they used to get some of the different trade magazines, you know, signage company as part of construction and things like that. And uh, I got a I got a magazine and it was a trade magazine from the uh, uh, General Contractors Association. Right. And on okay. the front of the magazine, the cover story was was selling schools to your local communities. And I'm like, what? And so I open the thing and I read it up and it's a whole thing on how you as contractors and as, as, as you need to go sell these new schools to local communities as the benefit that it's for the children, that it's good for the economy, that it's got all these things basically saying, Oh, that school is old. You need to replace it with a new one and sell it. And again, it's that construction. We've seen that time and time again, down in the States, they've got schools that are 50, 60, 70, hundred years old that they sure they keep fixing up and they keep modernizing and everything else, but they're using them here. We get a school that's 30 years old and people are like, Oh, that's junk. We need to scrap it and get a new one. Um, and and we've done it. We've we've knocked down schools that we're still paying bonds on in the Fairbanks area. Well, a school we still had bond issues on, we knocked it down and built another one because reasons. Because again, every one of those schools is 20, 30 million bucks. And uh, that employs a lot of people and puts a lot of money in the economy and everything else. But again, we haven't even talked yet about the multiplication factor of money in the economy spent by government versus private sector. But that's a huge component of what we're talking about. You know what? Let's let's talk about that multiplier effect a little bit. So Brad likes to bring up the ICER study from 2016 that talks about how the PFD is the the how cutting the PFD is the worst thing you can do for the economy in terms of trying to fix the, the state spending. Here's another piece that they don't talk about. Look at the the capital budget. Okay. For every thousand dollars that you cut the PFD, you lose something like sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars in the economy. For every thousand dollars you cut the capital budget, you only lose five hundred bucks in the economy. You know why? Because so much of that money immediately leaks back out of state because you're buying steel girders or cement mix or something like that that we don't produce here in state. You're buying all of those materials. That, that we can't get locally and you're immediately leaking it back out of the economy. And so that makes sense if what you're building is actually going to build your economy in the long run, build the infrastructure we actually need. But if it's really just consumption spending and it's not an investment, then it makes absolutely no sense to spend that much money on right. a capital budget. Make work, right? I mean, that's essentially, I mean, this bridge is essentially make work. Did it really yeah. improve public safety? No, not according to the plans and to the state, you know, the studies and everything else, but we needed to do it because we needed to do it. 20 million bucks to put a bridge over a place. It's really not going to affect anything. Um, it's uh, it's a frustrating thing, but this is the attitude uh, again, that I keep coming back to. This is the attitude of, well, as long as the government uh, spend is due, as long as the government economy is okay, then we're okay. And there's a few people like you, Rob, in the legislature who are saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second, that you can't divorce these two economies because it doesn't make sense. And in the long run, it's not going to work out. You've run the numbers. I know Brad's run the numbers that eventually at the current rate of spend, there's a baked in, <clears throat> there's already a baked in escalator into the state government, right? I mean, with the contracts and the formulas and everything else, if nothing changed, you know, a bomb wiped out everybody and they're like, we just got to continue with the budget until we can build everything back up or whatever. It would just, it would increase a hundred to $150 million every year just on its own. 
And in five years, I mean, in 10 years, we're talking about a billion and a half dollars increase just in the baked in stuff, not in any extra things that are put in there. And that means that in just a handful of years, if we gave away the whole PFD, if the state took the whole PFD in less than 10 years, we would have consumed all of that money and then would be looking for more. You know, and here's here's the scary part. A lot of people right now are looking at the oil prices and how the oil prices have been shooting up uh, over the last uh, three, four, five months. Uh, well, a little longer than that. Um, and they're going, oh, we're going to have so much money to spend next year in the legislature. Okay, maybe, maybe. We've also seen those oil prices crash pretty quickly too. So let's not count our chickens yet. But what people aren't watching is, okay, we are now putting ourselves in a situation where the permanent fund is actually the primary source of revenue for the state. What's been happening with the permanent fund over the last few months? It's been slowly sliding downward. What does that mean when, when you're in a situation where your earnings are low because the economy isn't doing great. You have inflationary pressures on the budget already that's going to put want to push the budget up. You put folks into, into, into office that want to spend even more money on new programs. We're not just talking about increasing existing programs. We're talking new programs. You know, we were talking about childcare earlier. As that's one example. And all of a sudden, we want to push all of this, all, all this spending up. At the rate that we are going, what that turns into is the PFD is gone in about five or years or so, give or take. Then you end up with a, probably two or three years where we coast by, and then there's going to be a tax on top of that. Now, whether that turns into an oil tax, an income tax, or a sales tax, who knows? It's all going to de- depend on who's in office at the time. Um, but that is the direction we're going. And that's a, that that's not a place that we want to be, because at what point you have to kind of ask yourself, at what point do we hit that tipping point where you can't go back? You know, I think we're at a we're at a place now where it's not good, but we we have the ability to right the ship to, to put us back on the on the correct course. At what point are you so far gone that that's no longer a possibility until the whole thing crashes? That's the thing. I mean, we were trying to stop this before it reached that it reaches that inexorable tipping point of it's going to go over whether we do something or not at that point. And I think we're quite honestly, I think we're rapidly approaching that point of no return, so to speak. Um, and uh, and we've got to do something about it. But again, this means we have to convince the people in Juno who think that they are so much wiser than the average person that we've got to convince them. And I, and I just don't know how we do that. Maybe we'll we'll tackle that next. We'll tackle that next as to because uh, Terry asked you the question, how do you convince people like Stedman, Stevens, and the rest of the good old boys? How do you do that? How do you convince them that they are wrong? Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're going to continue here in just a moment. One final segment of the show this morning, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Rob Myers is our guest, senator from District Q in the interior. We'll be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. That's right. Cleaning you out. Your mental suppository. Um, 
That just sounds weird, doesn't it? All right, let's uh, let's just see. Let me see what are some of the com- uh, what are the comments are in the uh, um, uh, what, some of the comments in the chat room. Being a commercial pilot on the YK Delta says Alaska Grown from YouTube. Being a commercial pilot on the YK Delta since Mark Air days, I can tell you that the government promotes sickness. Ninety eight percent of the food I haul is sugar. Bypass mail, huh? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you were talking about the, you know, the thing that Brad talks about, like on the Medicaid thing, where it services the lower incomes, but it benefits the upper incomes on the medical side. Uh, And then the worst part is, is that we've got one third of Alaskans, 270,000 so people on some form of subsidized Medicaid uh, in this, that's just Medicaid. That's not all the other programs. And you're like, no wonder this thing is so out of balance and, and cattywampus. I just, I can't believe that this, and and again, it's like, they can't see Rob. We've again, you've done them. You've done the math and the charts. Brad's done the math and the charts. And you show just based on the current spending rate. If you just graph it out, it's pretty obvious where we're going. Right. It's pretty obvious where the revenue is going and where the spending is going. And it means that in, you know, five to 10 years, we'll be totally upside down and they'll come back to you. And I guarantee you the the comment will be, well, you know, you Alaskans really need to pay your fair share because you're not paying your fair share. You're not like other states have taxes. And, you know, we haven't you've had a free ride. And so now is your time to I mean, not talking about the fact that you've already taken all of our revenue as resource owners. You've already taken all that. There is no free ride. They've been taking the money for years. It's a stealth tax. You know, they've been taking the money for years, and now they're taking it even more. And when they consume the entire PFD, but then they'll come back and say, well, you should just really pay your fair share. And we'll be right back where we are right now. So I have a couple of responses to that. One is, again, it's an issue of incentives. When you're in the private economy and a private individual, you have an incentive to look 10, 20, 30 years down the road. When you're a government, uh, when you're when you're an elected official, you have an incentive to look to your next election. I was having a discussion um, with one of my colleagues earlier this year because oil taxes came up as a as a point. You know, there's an oil tax bill. It's got some support behind it. I don't know if it's got enough support to pass the Senate, but it's got it's got some support. And I was talking to one of my colleagues about it and I said, well, this is just a stopgap. You know, look at the fiscal note. Look at how much money it's going to bring in. This gets us, you know, a, a solvent budget for another two, three years, maybe. And at which point we're out of money again. And he goes, well, yeah, but I'm going to be out of office by then. So that's your problem to fix. And I'm going, what? 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 This is the mentality that we have to deal with. This is the problem here. Um, <laughs> well, we've seen that time and time and time again. I remember there was a legislator from Fairbanks um, that uh, this is, again, 20 years ago. Uh, and he had been mayor at one point. He'd been a big wig in local politics. And then he ended up going over to the state and did that. And the commentary that I, I caught the edge of, a, I got the kind of some of the back chatter on this. And his comment was the same thing. Well, I don't really care because I'm retiring next year, moving out of state. How many legislators have, I mean, how many legislators are going to do that now? Right. Um, looking at you, Gary Stevens, uh, you know, who got places that live somewhere else, you know, kind of thing who, when it's all said and done, they'll retire with benefits. Out of the legislature after 20-something years, and then they're like, okay, I'm done. 
So as long as I get my raise for that last two or three years to get my PERS and TERS bump up, uh, I'm okay with that to get my 67% raise. And then I'm leaving. I'm leaving you, sweet lips. I, I did my thing and I'm good to go. How, how do you stop it? How do you stop that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and we can talk about this a little bit more, but you know, that's part of the reason I'm doing the video series is because you're not going to change that by going to individual legislators and saying, hey, look at what's happening here, because the incentives are all stacked up in the opposite direction. What we have to do is we have to get is we have to go out there and talk to the people and and try to illuminate what is actually going on there. And so what I'm doing with this video series is I'm trying to bring together all of these different pieces that you look you can look at each individual piece and say, oh, this is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. And I'm trying to bring it together and go, go look, guys, no, it's all the same problem. Yes, you're mad because your PFD got cut because the politicians are spending too much money. But we should also be mad about how much of our economy is based on government spending. We should be mad about how our economy is so constrained because of the ownership structure that we have. And this all plays together. And if we don't recognize that this is all a single problem and attack the single problem instead of attacking you know, the individual heads on the hydra here, then it's not going to work. We have to attack the main problem. And we have to get the majority of the people behind that to recognize what the actual single problem is. Rob Myers is our guest. I don't have a lot of hope that that's going to happen, but we're going to try. We're going to do our best. Rob Myers, our guest. Uh, we uh, got one final segment here. Jumping back into it. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Do me a favor. Wherever you are, whatever, wherever you're watching this, share this. This is an important discussion. This is an important discussion. And go out and share Rob's video. I'll pull the link down here. We'll get it going. Here we go. Okay, uh, one final segment this morning for this Wednesday edition of The Michael Duke Show. Senator Rob Myers is our guest, and we're uh, talking with him about um, we're talking with him about the PFD and the economy and everything else. Uh, it seems like a lot of great conversations happened during the commercial break, so let's revisit just a little bit here, uh, uh, Rob. You said it. Um, is there a solution? I mean, because somebody asked, how do you convince? The good old boys network, the people that have been there for 25 years who believe it in their heart of hearts that what they're doing is the right thing because they, once they got elected, they became omnipotent and they understand things better than the average man. How do you convince them? And you said it has to be, it's a holistic thing. It's not one or the other. It's not just the PFD and the, it's all tied together. So revisit that for us here for a second. So really what we need is the rest of the story. There was a, a hearing in Senate finance, uh, I believe it was near the end of session in 22, um, where the, 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 it was supposed to be the rest of the story because, you know, we had the votes on the floor that year to, to put in the full PFD into the budget. And so people get freaked out. Oh, now you're taking money away from the government, blah, blah, blah. And so this was, oh, it's the rest of the story. What, it, what would have happened to the permanent fund and to the dividend if, we had started this at the beginning and um, we had said, well, 
half of the half the earnings go to the people, but the other half goes to the government. We actually spent it. And so what would have, have happened? Oh, well, the, the permanent fund would have only been twenty nine billion instead of 70 something billion or, or what have you. And I looked at that and I said, OK, but you're not covering the other side of that. You're not covering the other rest of the story. What would have ha- you know, how much money already got diverted out of the royalties, out of the severance tax, out of the corporate income tax? How much of that already got diverted to the government? that could have stayed in private hands and could have stayed in the economy and grown the economy. And this is what we have to start talking about is if we want to change the course of the ship, if you got a problem, first step is acknowledging the problem, right? That's what they teach you in AA and and other places. You got to acknowledge the problem. And what I'm trying to do with this video series, and today's the, the, the first real serious one. Last week is just an introduction. What I'm trying to do with this video series is to let everybody know, okay, look, everybody's mad about the PFD getting cut, and you should be mad about that. But we should also be mad about these other things, such as how much money in our economy is really government-based. We should be mad about how our private economy has been constrained because of the ownership structure of the mineral royalties and and the mineral resources in this state. And we should recognize, not only should we be mad about all of these things, but they all have the same problem at the heart of it and we can't just be popping off against the pfd and and other things right. and say all right we need to, to attack each of these these individual problems no we have to address the heart of the problem and so i put together this video series to try to connect it all together and to put it into a, a format that's easy to share out because each of these videos is going to be about four five six minutes long um so share them out let everybody know what is going on that all of these pieces are all connected. And if we don't attack the whole, we just attack the individual little symptoms, we're not going to cure the disease. This sounds a whole, I'll be honest with you, this sounds a whole lot like what the uh, what the fiscal policy working group said, which is you can't attack this on a piece-by-piece basis. This is a holistic issue. Is there some ties to what you're talking about here? There's some parts. Parts of that, yeah, you know, they, they, the, the fiscal policy working group didn't get too much into the economy, but one thing that they identified that is a problem that we've talked about in the past is that disconnect between the public and the private economy, and recognizing that the pub that the public economy is becoming a competitor to the private economy. It's not a partner. It's not a. It's not a an undergirding structure or anything like that. Right. It's a competitor, and because. The public economy doesn't isn't no longer going to be getting its money from the private economy. And one thing that is giving me a little bit of hope is I went to a, a meeting yesterday with the uh, Fairbanks Chamber of Commerce. And of course, I was talking a little bit about about some of these issues. You know, I might have been a little bit more diplomatic there than we are here. But um, there was a guy that came in late to that meeting and uh, so he missed what I was talking about. There was there was some other people talking later, and we went on to other topics um, regarding the legislature. But he came in late, and then uh, near the end, we after everybody was kind of done presenting, we were just kind of having this little roundtable discussion. And he brought it up, and he said, "Yeah, we've got this disconnect between the public economy and the private economy, and they're they're at loggerheads now, and we're going to have to uh, find a way to connect them back together fiscally." And I was like, huh, finally, somebody else is saying it. And I I think the message might finally start to get out there. If we can get the message out to the business community that, hey, 
if you want your business to thrive, if you want your business to prosper, then we have to fix this problem. It's not just a PFD problem. It's an economic problem. Then, then that's where we start to get hope because now that's a much broader community and it's a community that's got some money in it, some political sway, and we might be able to make some headway here. You know, it's it's uh, in other states, the public and the private economies, uh, they work together in symbiosis, right? I mean, the the, right. the 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 private economies or the public economy is actually the symbiote of the of the public of the uh, private economy. So the private economy generates the funds and then the government economy, you know, lives off of that, so to speak. So it's the symbiote of this whole thing. And you're right. right. Now we have here in the state of Alaska, what we have is this competitive situation where they're going at loggerheads and it's you know one is is forcing the other unfortunately on the government sector side the the public economy side they've got access to all the funds and they can just pull more funds as they need to and that's kind of tipped the balance in that way but eventually what it will do is it will strangle the private economy in the short term uh, and in the long term, it will kill itself, as you said, as you pointed out to all these other petro states that, you know, self-destructed because there's only so much of that growth that can happen without some kind of underpinning that is outside of the government economy itself. And and that's the thing. We've destroyed that symbiosis. I'm happy to hear that more people are talking about it, but it's it's got to be put in those in those terms and people have got to look at it and understand. I, I just I can't see how they can have an answer for you when you put these facts in front of them and then they go. Oh, it'll be fine. I guess unless their response is, well, I won't be here anyway, so it doesn't matter. I mean, that, that's one response is, well, I, I won't be here. I'm going to I'm I'm retiring. I'm leaving state, you know, whatever. The, but really what a lot of it boils down to is the, the opposition that we face is not necessarily an opposition to saying, oh, well, you're wrong. That, that's not the problem. That's everything is fine. The opposition we face is I don't like the solutions. And, you know, this is something I've been preaching, not just on this topic, but on some other topics for a while is. If you don't like the solutions to a problem, don't ignore the problem. Find a better solution. I haven't yet talked to anybody who's found a better solution yet. If right. you got one, great. Tell me. I'd like to know. But I haven't found anybody that's got a better solution yet. Right. So I'd rather we've got to reconnect that public and private economy. Uh, or we're toast. Right. I mean, I'd rather die from the disease than get sick from the cure. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're going to get, if the cure cures you and you won't die, yeah, you may get sick, but I mean, you got to take the, uh, but that's, that's kind of the reaction. I don't like any of the options. Well, come up with a new one. Find mm-hmm. another, find another solution, but at least acknowledge, here's the problem. They won't even acknowledge, Rob, in, in many cases, they won't even acknowledge that there's a problem. Right. right? It's all blase. Oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We we'll, got the, we we got got the ostrich putting its head in the sand while the lion's gnawing on its rear end. Yeah. Um, we got a problem here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last two minutes here, Rob, I'm going to give you the floor for final thoughts on all this. And then again, a tease for where people, I posted your link up in the chat room for the latest video, but I'll give you two minutes here to kind of summate and finalize things. What do you got? Yep. So go out to Myers for Alaska on Facebook and you'll find these videos. There's a new one getting dropped every Wednesday morning. Share them out. Let's 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 spread the word on to what our problem really is because our problem is not just the PFD. Our problem is not just government spending. Our problem is that our economy and our politics have been set up for 60 70 years now with a structure that encourages more government spending. 
It encourages the state to pull in every revenue stream it can find to support that. It encourages us to, to continue to spend faster because not only do we have people dependent on the government for welfare, but we have people dependent on the government for crony capitalism. And that's how so many people um, make their money in this state. If we don't fix that problem and reconnect that private economy with that public economy, that that we're going to be in a world of hurt. So go out to Myers for Alaska, go share the videos. There's going to be new ones showing up every week for the next couple of months. And I've put it on my Facebook page as well at uh, facebook.com slash Michael Duke show. You can go out there and share it from there or share it from Rob's page. Um, these solutions are going to be unpopular, like you said, Rob, because everybody's become dependent, right? The crony capitalists, the welfare state, everything. So what's going to have to happen is going to hurt everybody eventually but if we don't get if we don't get sick from the cure we're going to die from the disease that's the whole thing uh rob myers thank you so much my friend i appreciate you coming on board folks tomorrow's another day thursday uh the michael duke show uh we will see you tomorrow morning bright and early 6 a.m be kind love one another live well Final bite, Rob. Anything else that we didn't hit on or missed or a point you wanted to make, a salient point? More well, com- I guess, you know, I'm, I'm sure Harold is probably in there somewhere talking about oil taxes because he already posted that on the on the video last, you know, the intro video <laughs> sure, last week. Sure, You know, and, and I'm looking at that and I'm saying if oil taxes is the only thing that you fix, that's kind of like trying to cure a hangover by drinking a beer. Um, and, you know, it, it's one thing to say, hey, there's a little bit more money on the table. There's another thing. There's another thing to say, hey, you know, we, we should just double down on what we've already done, you know. But then we've also got I'm going to cover this in a video in a few weeks. You know, we've got folks on the right kind of saying the opposite, the opposite side, which is, well, if we just produce more oil, then that'll be the that'll fix it, too. And I'm like, well, that's just doubling down as well. I mean, yeah, I want to produce more oil off of the slope. I want to see the economic activity. I want to see more money come into the state, you know, all these sorts of things. But if your only solution to the problem is to, again, double down on what's going on, then that's just right. a temporary Band-Aid. That's not going to fix it. we got to fix the underlying structural issues. Our, our issue is not we're not producing enough oil. Our issue is not we're not taxing enough off of oil. Our issue is the oil is owned by the state and it's prevented from going out into the private economy. Uh, Makes that underlying issue first. Yeah, no, so so here's my problem with the oil argument that Harold's made and others have made. I agree that there is money left on the table, that we could adjust the oil taxes, that probably we could get another $500 million or something out of that. But he, let's just say, assume that it is the $1.2 billion number that they keep throwing around, that that's what we could get. Uh, I don't believe that that number, but let's just assume for the sake of argument that that's the case. The problem is... You're just giving them more money to spend. It's not like that's going to offset anything. They've already taken a big chunk of the PFD. If you change the oil taxes to make it $1.2 billion in new revenue, they would spend it. What you just said basically boils down to this, what I've said for years. In this state, do we have a revenue problem or do we have a spending problem? The bottom line, we have a spending problem. But we have a spending problem, and that spending problem has been going so on so long that now we've created a revenue problem along mm-hmm. with the spending problem. But it basically comes down to the spending. That's what's generated. If we if we generated more oil taxes and we did this, and this has even been my argument with Brad, if we had a flat tax or something like that, my fear is, sure, we'll generate all this new revenue 
But that's no guarantee that they will then offset that and put the PFD back on the table because they've taken mm-hmm. that money already. They have it. You just give them more money. What are they going to do with it? Right. And this is this is, you know, what what I'm trying to get at with these videos is, yes, we have a spending problem. Why do we have a spending problem? We have a spending problem because going back to where we started, you don't matter. Juno is what matters. And when Juno is what matters in the economy, you are inevitably going to have a spending problem. And until you fix that problem, you get the money back into the hands of individuals, then we are going to inevitably have a spending problem every single stinking time. Now you have to convince the politicians, though, to give up that money from the PFD. That's the problem. And yeah. maybe if you had an alter- maybe if you had some alternative revenues coming in from oil or sales tax or whatever, maybe if you had some of those coming in, you could convince. But again, they've already got their hooks in that jar. And they're not going to want to let go of it there. That's the problem. Um, That's that's why the fiscal policy working group said you had to do it all together. Yep. Is because if you could find the votes for the one, if then that one might go through and the rest of the problem would get fixed. Not to mention finding the votes for the one was kind of hard to do to begin with. And so giving a little, getting a little, that's, you know, in order to find the votes to make this work, to make this huge structural change. That's why you had to do it all at once. People are saying, Rob, that you should come on more often to talk about these things. Uh, I have a job. I know. Hey, so do I. That's why That's why I think about these things is because I have a job, because right. I care about the private economy. Right. But unfortunately, that means that I have a job. You're in the middle of the private economy is why. Um, well, maybe I can talk you into at least for the time that you're putting this series out that you come on once a week or every two weeks to kind of go over the videos because might be able to work every other week all right, we'll, all right. I'll, I'll i know you're busy i know you're busy i know you hate getting up super early i mean come on it's only it's only an extra 40 minutes of sleep what do you need that for um rob stay to work on the hall road yeah i know that's it's it's the that's the truth isn't it well i appreciate all you're doing this video is fantastic i can't wait to see more uh i've shared it uh put it on the show page as well Folks, you got the link in the chat room. I'll put it in here one more time for you folks that uh, missed it earlier. There's the link to his latest video. You can go check it out. Rob Myers, thanks uh, thanks so much, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Be safe today, okay, on the road. You bet. All right, thanks so much. All right, folks, we are out of time for today. Tomorrow's another one. What do you want to talk about tomorrow? Give me a few comments as to what you want us to talk about tomorrow. I don't have anybody planned yet. I've got a couple guests that I could bring on. Maybe we should do a, well, it's not Wednesday, but maybe we should do what if or something. I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about tomorrow? I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, Send me an email. The email address is me at MichaelDukeshow.com. That's me at MichaelDukeshow.com link in the chat room for that as well if you want to send me an email tell me what you want to talk about maybe we'll take that into consideration other than that time to flee we got to go full day ahead be kind love one another and live well you're gonna have a great day today we will see you tomorrow morning
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 